This is Andy Ho, host of the Continuing Education Series, a podcast we produce as a benefit for the members of the French Language Division of the American Translators Association and those interested in becoming members. This series strives to offer educational content about the craft of French to English and English to French translation and about our division. For today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome Edward Gavin, our uh, special guest and distinguished speaker for ATA 63, the conference in Los Angeles this fall. Edward is a writer, translator, and independent scholar. His work has been shortlisted and nominated for a multitude of prizes, and he has received grants and fellowships from around the world. Most relevant to the FLD and ATA, he has contributed over 100 translations to various journals, anthologies, and collections, and translated over 400 graphic novels. He also publishes his own original fiction, some of which fittingly has been translated into French. Welcome, Edward. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, Andy, and I'm looking really looking forward to the October conference. So you have a, a very wide ranging career. Can you tell us sort of how you got started and how you branched out into all these different fields? Well, um, I got my start as a translator in the mid 2000s. Um, I had come back from f- teaching uh, as, as a lecturer, at, you know, as, as um, a, a freshman and sophomores in college in, in, in France. Um, uh, I, and for some reason, I thought some translation was something one could do. Um, I, I don't think I had a particularly timely <laughs> um, notion of that. I think for some reason I was thinking, oh yeah, I'll like be translating pulp novels or other things that don't get published in the U.S. <laughs> or sort of. I'm not sure. Like I had, I had these very outdated notions. And um, um, however, um, I was hanging around comic cons in the New York comic con. I would believe was uh, 2005 or six, the very first one. And and there were smaller fairs as well. And I was hanging around those trying to interest um, editors and uh, publishers in comics, graphic novels that I had liked in France. And so um, none of those pitches ever worked, but I think I sort of just got my face in their face. And um, so that was how I wound up with my first few jobs. Um, uh, uh, around the same time in 2005, uh, Words Out of Waters published my first uh, uh, sh- uh, short fiction translation by uh, Georges-Olivier Chateau-Penot. Um, and I wound up working on his stories for the next couple of years and then putting out my first full-length prose fiction translation in 2010, which is a volume of his uh, selected stories. So as uh, I think my career has pretty much proceeded along those, those twin tracks um, right from the beginning. Uh, read from the beginning and, and, and ever since. So I had never heard of Words Without Borders until I, I was looking into your background. Can you tell me more about what they do? Yeah, oh, well, Words Without Borders actually, so when I first published with them in 2005, they'd only been around for two years. Um, and uh, they're definitely, um, they, they were the first, um, and I would say uh, now still the biggest um, periodical that is devoted entirely to international literature in, in English translation. Um, I mean, now the translation scene has changed so much and literary translation has become a lot hipper than it used to be, but Words Without Borders was 
you know, into translation before translation was cool. <laughs> um, they, they, uh, no, but, but seriously, and um, they, they recently actually just went through a major site revamp. So um, uh, that's been overhauled and uh, the look has been, you know, greatly streamlined and they're still, um, you know, adding the, the archives in, but um, they're, uh, they've, I think they published from almost like 150 countries, um, just as many languages. I, I, I and I, I think, uh, I, I, I've sort of watched as uh, from a distance as their, their editorial priorities ha have shifted over time as well. Um, they, uh, they, I think among the founding members were like a former editor uh, for foreign liter literature from Northwestern, another at Norton, and another uh, who, um, who had worked with Zoetrope, the uh, American fiction magazine. And... Um, one of their their neat their their uh, neatest programs, one of their their, their coolest uh, um, the coolest things that they sort of grew into over the years was uh, is something called WWB Campus or Words Without Borders Campus, and and it's like actively designs you know classroom modules and and teaching aids for people who want to um, you know um, uh, it's like provides a educator support right and and supplementary curricular resources, and it also like tries to you know, get you know even virtual events, you know, where, where, uh, or, or in-person in events where translators and authors can, you know, visit classrooms at, at any level from, um, you know, college and, and, uh, um, yeah, and younger, uh, and, and a lot, I think, uh, more recently, a lot of their claim to fame has been publishing as well, uh, some major authors who've gone on to major, major awards like uh, Elena Ferrante or Han Ka Kang or Olga Tokarczuk. Like these were people who were, who were first featured in their pages before they won bookers and, and Nobels and things. So it's been, it's, I think it's been a really, a really big force for international literature in the U S and um, it's never. And, it, and I think the reason that they went online with it at the beginning wasn't, they were a little ahead of the curve in that way, but also it has allowed them to keep overhead down in a way that print magazines aren't able to. And so this is perhaps of the most interest to people who are looking to get into literary translation is um, most of the time the, the periodical scene is so small. Um, uh, if you're talking like lit mags or university journals or something like that, that um, the onus of clearing rights is is pushed onto the translator which isn't completely fair it's 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 should be like an uh, you know when you're actually publishing it's it's like an aid editor or agent's job right but um or a foreign rights department's job but uh um words without borders has always taken that um uh onto themselves and they've right from the start they've always paid the translator and the author and this isn't something that a lot of periodicals even now can claim. Wow, all right. Um, you were talking about Elena Ferrante and Olga, uh, I don't know how to say her last name, but even going back to say Stieg Larsson. So the number that gets quoted a lot is 3%, right? That only 3% of you know, literature is translated into English, or I, I forget exactly what it is. Do you think that has changed in recent years? Okay, okay just to clarify, it's not 3% of the world's literature gets into English. It's that 3% of the books published yearly in English 
of that of all the uh, books published in English every year, only three percent are devoted to translated literature. Um, uh, I am not plugged into BookScan enough to tell you what it is now. And Chad Post would have started his three percent blog uh, out of Rochester in like two thousand eight or nine. Uh, I will tell you that my sense is that it has fluctuated. And it has grown and remains on the side of growth, but that I would be surprised if it has doubled. Like I would say that it stayed somewhere in between, um, um, you know, uh, three and six, and that's you know a completely, uh, that that that's just a you know completely off the cuff thing. Um, I would be surprised if it has doubled. I would. Uh, if it has doubled, I would surprise, be surprised if it had doubled and stayed there for more than a year, because I, um, I mentioned that there are as, as, there's sort of fluctuations. Um, and I would say for me, there are a couple different parts to that. There's one that it's like, I yes, there are more play, uh, uh, there the translation scene is so massively diversified in terms of uh, li the literary translation scene has is massively diversified in terms of the number of publishers. Uh, but these are mostly small presses, not even say imprints of large presses, right? Um, and which is, you know, that's how art moves forward, really historically, you know. It's, it's, it, it, but but um, I think if there's been a salutary shift in the kinds of things we look to foreign literatures for, um, uh, and there's still a raging debate about whether it actually sells. Uh, um, and there are always going to be exceptions that sell extremely well, but then become unfortunately sort of synecdochic of the entire phenomenon, which doesn't sell as well. Or you know, um, so uh, yeah, I think I, I wandered off a little bit there at the end, but but uh, I, I don't. I, I the numbers has there's definitely progress in the numbers. Uh, um, far greater than progress in actual numbers is sort of a, a cultural awareness. Um, I think that has risen in a way that's, that's faster than the, the uh, than the sort of economic side of things. So, um, in recent years, there's been a lot of interest in foreign media. You know, with K-pop, um, Parasite, and other Korean movies. Um, I think just a lot more interest in, in Lupin, the TV series on Netflix. Do you yeah. think that there is in general some sort of expansion uh, of interest into foreign media that will any sort of sense of rising tides lift all boats that will go into, will affect translations of books or not so much? So I think for me, there's a couple issues I'll knot it up in there. And so please cut me off if, if I start to, uh, you know, prattle on uh, one is that interest in translated books does not necessarily equate to um better pay or living conditions for translators and so it's i think the same thing applies the like interest in foreign media also may not directly improve the translators or subtitlers or or you know lot um and uh 
I I think that's because of and, and I don't well and, and also I, I have to say that um I, I think that's that's generally because people don't people have a very dated idea of what translation is does or should do uh and or or can get away with or can trans uh, how, how it's a degree to which it can it can transform or or you know something um and so i think that's something that i i think about a lot and and i think the other difference that is, is just where media is, books are such a small part financially of media as a whole that um media foreign media becoming more popular whether it is or not it, it, oh, things operate differently at different scales of how much money is involved i guess is what i'm trying to get, uh, get around to so um you know like for instance the the recent Brad Pitt bullet train is based on um a japanese novel that I remember reading an article about when the Japanese novel was first snapped up by it was probably in Hollywood Reporter or something. Uh, it was snapped up by a Pitt's production company, and um, you know there hasn't actually been a whole lot of discourse concerning Bullet Train about how the entire cast is now white, pretty much. You know, and and that's fine. That's that's one issue. But like the other issues that like uh, I remember reading in Hollywood Reporter when it was first snapped up that. Uh, you know, it was it was one of the properties. The novel was one of the properties that um, a, a a new a newly built uh, a, a newly founded firm in Japan had shopped around, and this firm was dedicated toward um, getting more Japanese properties uh, sold abroad. Uh, you know, um, whether it be for remakes or adaptations or anything, they just wanted to push it. You know, and I don't think of Japan as a country that is massively underrepresented in terms of international media presence. And yet the, 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 the when you heard the, com this, the founders of the company speak, it was like they were talking about just untold troves of material in Japan that they were sure would uh, interest other people, but like people just didn't, not enough people read Japanese to access it. It just wasn't known. And so, so it's, I, I wonder to some extent how many places feel like that if 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 Japan, which I think of as having a major media presence, already feels like that, then you know, like, uh, I, I, how much are other, you know, uh, places going to feel like that? And then my my my, sorry, my third sort of related point is that actually I find the subtitling scene really, really, really interesting for its crossover with literary translation, both from a, a and mostly from an underrepresentation of labor point of view. Like, um, this is this applies. Uh, and 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 because uh, subtitles have been popping up more and more into the um, uh, news lately, and I, I, I and every time it does, it it really just sort of perks up my ears. Because one of my ongoing thought experiments is sort of like see how many other disciplines, undersung disciplines, have some kind of labor or historical uh, or metaphorical overlap with 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 translation, and and one of the um, I, I, you know, like recently, the the most recent subtitling story I remember seeing was about Stranger Things and how like the subtitles were really kind of juicy and you know reached for the a not obvious adjective, you know, and 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 how that enhanced the experience and you know and 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 that's all fascinating to me. Like a, you know, like how how can that map on translation or 
The other one, of course, was with um, the Korean property. Um, I'm going to blank on the name now. The one with the game show where they kill people. Squid Game. Yes, yes. Thank you. So yeah, I did see it. I was, but like there was the there was a little brouhaha about how you know um, someone was tweeting. There was a I think a New York based Korean American writer was tweeting about how the subtitles were off and how there actually turned out to be two sets of subtitles, one for the the closed captioning and one that was actually it looks more sort of human translated. And then, um, but like, I remember one of the thing that, that they said that this person said was um, what, you know, uh, if you, if you watch the show with this set of subtitles, you're not getting the same show. And like, this was, you know, sort of the, the foundation of some kind of notion of betrayal, right? And like, this is something that I think translators might be working to, to push, if not entirely overthrow, because like, for me, that's, that's, uh, that's a given. That's kind of like, duh. That's kind of, I think, where literary translators are, where they start right now. Yes, of course, it's not the same. You shouldn't think of them as the same. You shouldn't think of that you are able to get the same out of this transaction. Um, and um, yeah, so that's just my, 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 my bringing it around to, to, to translators versus translation again. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you, you bring up some really good points about the devaluation, I think, of translators. Is it, uh, do you have the same problem in literary translation that there's a sense that anybody who speaks a second language can translate it? Is that prevalent in publishing? I do think a lot of translators, because I've heard various versions of this, uh, think of editors as having um, a, a tin ear, right? Or, or like that editors do think of translators as interchangeable or, uh, or that like what or editors are kind of like this tone deaf conductor that the translator has to teach how to, you know, or, or rather, the if the translator is a con conductor, uh, they have the, the, that as a conductor, we have to educate the editor and how to appreciate the difference between one conductor and another. You know, um, I, uh, but I, I, it's hard for me to assess literary translations. Uh, the attitudes of literary translators as a whole, I do, I did pretty much, I, I don't feel that connected with the scene anymore. And that's not, uh, uh, and, and I do find that, so, so, I mean, so what I'm judging it on it right and these days is kind of just like things I read and the things I read can be all over the map. Like sometimes translators will say things that sound the same as what translators said 60 years ago and other times translators will you know have fairly progressive views deeply informed by translation studies or comparative literature uh, you know or, or uh, other sort of uh, uh, some background in academic theory so it's 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 really hard for me to character to, to 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 say as a whole um what the community thinks. I do think that by and large, it's moved beyond issues of authorial fidelity, though, which is not something the world has moved on from. Because, you know, translators will say one thing at a convention, and then when one of them gets profiled in the New York Times, 
what emerges in the article at the end of whatever process goes on is pretty tame compared to what goes on at, say, a convention or a conference or a roundtable. So for the real deal, you have to go to a, a translation conference and see what translators are talking about. Yeah, well, you know, the, the literature is out there, you know, I mean, to, to do some digging, but, but you know, the, the, but like, but send, like, even in, like, say, a literary translator's Facebook book group, especially since you're going to get people who are translating out um, uh, of English into, uh, you're going to get a really, I would say that, that how translators feel about what it is they should and shouldn't do, you know, it runs a pretty broad gamut. Um, and and, and it, I should also contextualize almost everything I'm saying as coming out of specifically an into English scene. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't want to plan, I don't want to presuppose anything. Do you feel like in the English, into English scene, um, translations are sort of watered down a bit? Not watered down, um, made more palatable for local audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, 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 that actually is the crux of, of Lawrence Vanuti's um, original translator's invisibility diatribe, right, is that he wasn't blaming the translators in that case, he was blaming the publishing industry as well. But like, I mean, I think the translator's invisibility as a phrase has kind of gotten dislocated from his original coinage and sort of just generally used to apply to, you know, it applies probably more often to like, uh, um, lack of cultural capital or lack of actual economic capital, but his was originally, his argument was rooted in a fairly specific reading of how, um, you know, uh, certain things would get ironed out of, um, certain marks of farness would get ironed out into a more standardized um, English. Uh, again, I don't think that's, I, I don't honestly have the time to read widely enough to assess that right now. Um, I, I I don't know. Yeah, I I, I, I I honestly I can't I can't. Um, and I yeah. Um, because I, I I also do think that the binary the old binary that sets up right because that's the other bastardization of, of the Nudie's ideas is that it's like oh it's either about foreignization or um, you know uh, domesticization and you're going to foreignize things you're going to just leave weird turns of phrase and and foreign things in there and that's that's definitely not <laughs> that's definitely not what you're saying but um but but that's but it's an easy straw man to to uh that 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 uh to attack him but also to attack schools of translation like a lot of translators also use it you know they 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 say i don't foreignize never foreignize foreignizing is stupid but it's only stupid if you define it very narrowly like that right i mean so uh but i i do think that binary is is maybe also something that needs to be gotten out of like for me and maybe this will segue back to comics i don't know but like for me with comics someone asked me that at an event i did in in um in Pittsburgh uh, at the City Asylum. And uh, 
I really fumbled the answer because it was like the end of a, the night, but um, I, I do think that uh, issues of reception in general have been neglected in translation, right? Uh, uh, which is to say that in the translation, you're talking about how uh, the, the, it's usually like, oh, were you close to the author or were you close to the, old, the original language? You know, something like that. But it, but it's not like, but but what is, is, are you making something for a specific readership in the U.S. and what does that entail? And in and in that case, this is something that comics can speak to very much, right? Like, if I do a French Western, they're never going to have a howdy in it, but I'm going to put a howdy in the English version, right? Like, I, I got, um, you know, like um, it, 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 there's a way Western sound. There's a way noir sounds. There's a way, uh, and 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 also, there's a way noir sounds. In fact, that is informed both by, you know, American pulp writers and French people who loved uh, uh, French new wave directors who loved American pulp writers, and then American pulp writers who loved French new wave movies. You know, like there's already a dialogue going, and there's no purity. There's no, there's no, you know. Uh, uh, and and so I I when I say talk about you know audience ex, audience uh, reception and expectation going into the translation, deservedly going into the translation. What I'm saying is that like it's not just the author speaking through you, it's not the language speaking through you, it's also the genre speaking through you. It's also the expectations um, speaking through you as a, uh, um, informing your work. Fair enough. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil too much of your sessions so i'm going to cut you off here but is there anything else you'd like to say to our audiences um, yeah um i think one of your original uh questions was just about uh you know um some practical advice on on on, on trying to break into translating comics and um i think this is a question i get a lot from literary translators and you sh people should just remember that comics is still an artist medium and not a writer such that if you're pitching a comic, I think you should be aware that it will be bought primarily on art and perhaps before before even story some uh, not necessarily uh, uh, art like art is, is going to edge out subject matter even. So um, that, and then, um, yeah. So that that's just. I, I think that's something that people don't think of, especially as translators, because they're they're you know they're focused on the words. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Edward. Um, I can't wait to meet you in person in LA. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, I hope. Uh, I hope, uh, you know, I hope BA5 allows it to be nevertheless a, a, a safe event for all concerned. All fingers, toes, limbs, everything crossed. For sure. All right. Well, thank you very much. This concludes our episode for today. You can subscribe to the Continuing Education Series podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash ATA slash FLD 
or on iTunes by searching for Continuing Education Series in the iTunes Store. You can contact the FLD at divisionfld at atanet.org. Visit our website at ata. Dot, uh, excuse me, ata-divisions.org slash FLD, or get in touch with us on social media. This is Andy Ho signing off. Thanks for listening, and a bientôt.